Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Father, we come to you now, and it is such a privilege for us to open up your word and to see what you would, and to hear what you would say to us this day. We are a, we are a people that are, we hunger for humility. We hunger for your presence. We hunger to know you in a way that speaks of, of the depth of friendship and relationship. And we hunger to know that you're always with us. So, Father, would you meet with us in these moments? May we know of your power, your strength, your presence, and would you equip us unto all that you're calling us to in these moments. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, let me invite you to turn to your, in your Bibles to Galatians uh, chapter 5. And I'll be reading for you uh, verses 16 through 26. So Galatians 5, 16 through 26. You can open up your Bibles if you'd like to. Uh, you can open up your iPhones if you'd like to. Uh, I heard a friend of mine say this past week as one who's sort of an older father of the denomination, and he said, we should always be reading out of our Bibles and not our iPhones. And he made this comment. Reading, from your, reading your Bible off your iPhone is like kissing your wife through a screen door. And I thought, what does that mean? But I think I understand what he means. There's something about holding the Word of God in our hands. So whether you have the Word of God in paper or the Word of God on your iPhone, let me invite you to turn there and let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Dear friends, as we think about this passage in the book of Galatians, we are, we're in a little mini-series uh, at this moment where we're working through the fruit of the Spirit. And Jeremy last week talked about the fruit of love. Uh, this morning, it is my privilege to talk about the spiritual, the, uh, the fruit, rather, of joy. 
Now, as we begin to move into this whole concept of joy, I, I want us to, to recognize that in our country, in this day, there has been a diagnosis uh, of depression, fear, and anxiety. But I want to remind you that this diagnosis, um, uh, which was penned by, rather identified by Greg Easterbrook in The Progress Paradox, he's talking about a diagnosis that was uh, being understood between 2013 and 2016. The statistics that I share with you this morning are not post-pandemic statistics. And if I shared with you those statistics, it's startling. But between 2013 and 2016, 33% of Americans have described themselves as lonely. They're lonely. They're fearful. There's angst. And there's anxiety. Easterbrook goes on and he says that the percentage of Americans who experience stress is now 20 points higher than the global average. And all of this is true all the while, while life is getting better and better and better for Americans in terms of comfort and material possessions. But when it comes to our understanding of the inner self, our lives are filled with discouragement, fear, and anxiety. Matter of fact, if you would go back, all the way back to World War II and graph out um, the the results of material possessions and comforts uh, over the course of those years since World War II, you would see on that graph a radical upward trajectory based upon per capita income and real income and longevity and home size and uh, drivers per car, cars per household, phone calls made uh, annually, trips taken annually, highest educational degree earned. Do you realize that in, in these days, IQ scores are on the increase? Just about every objective indicator of social welfare has trended upward in pretty much of an uninterrupted fashion. But if we take our eyes off of material possessions and, um, uh, and the things that we so enjoy in this life, And we ask the question, what about the inner self? What about what's really going on in my emotions? What's going on in my heart? Then we would find that that graph would turn dramatically and it would cascade downward, almost like water over a waterfall. When we begin to ask questions about, tell us about your depression, your anxiety, your fear. There are many Americans, this is an interesting statement, many Americans have an unre, have unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause. In other words, they're angry, but they don't know why. They're sad, but they don't know why. They're discouraged, but they don't know why. They're just so out of touch, and I'm probably one of them, believe me. We're just so out of touch with our hearts and our emotions. Easterbrook said this, Americans and Europeans have more of everything except for happiness. They simply do not have happiness. And Easterbrook concludes his article by saying this, 
it's not primarily that the American dream is dead. The American, G, the, the American dream has been achieved. But so many have found the American dream lacking, wanting, and not fundamentally bringing happiness and certainly not joy. Dear friends that I love, C.S. Lewis said this, have you, considered that the, have you considered that the chief business of heaven is joy? I love that statement. I think there's many things that we can say concerning heaven, concerning the chief business of heaven. But on this day, in this moment, we're talking about joy. And so have you considered that the chief business of heaven is joy? Then let me ask you a practical question. Have you considered that one of the main emotional characteristics in your life should be the characteristic of joy? Because we recognize, in light of Galatians chapter 5, that the Lord Jesus died on the cross not just to save us from our sins. He died on the cross not simply to give us new hearts and transform minds, but, beloved, he died on the cross to give us new emotions. And I fully and firmly believe in that. He died on the cross that we would be people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He died on the cross that we would be new people. And yet, as I've been with you these years, oftentimes what I hear from people is simply, well, that's just not who I am, Ed. That's not who the Lord created me to be. And my statement to you is now, but that is who the Lord has saved you to be. And some will say, but you know, I'm just sort of an East Memphis curmudgeon. I'm a, spiritually speaking, I'm an Eeyore. And I want to say, dear friends, with all due respect, every one of us should get over our bad selves. Every one of us. And we need to embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we need to begin to understand what does it mean for us to walk in step with the Spirit of God. Can you imagine if we, as the people of God of Independent Presbyterian Church, if we really took God at his word and we actually begin to pray and to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and we actually begin to cultivate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, if we actually became people of love, and what if the people outside these doors, they could somehow look into these windows and they could see how radically changed we are. That our lives are really beginning to look like the life of the Lord Jesus in all of these characteristics. Dear friends, if, if that ever happened through revival in our midst, real renewal in our midst, we would have to tear this sanctuary down and we would have to blow out the back and build something to Walnut Grove because the people of our culture are looking to know if we really believe in the Holy Spirit of God 
and the fruit that he brings into our life. It's true. Because so often we make the mistake of thinking that, yeah, I, I need to get the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And we make the mistake of thinking it's kind of like a cafeteria line uh, at Morrison's, so to speak. Where you kind of go down the line and you get a little, a little patience, a little joy, a little love. And that's not at all what Paul is saying at this point. He is saying that if you love the Lord Jesus, then you're going to be cultivating love in your life. You're going to be cultivating joy in your life. You're going to be cultivating faithfulness in your life. You're going to be praying to the Holy Spirit of God, and you're going to be saying, Lord Jesus, I want more and more of you, but not just more and more of you. I want to look like you. been with you 26 years and you know of my sinfulness and you know of my failures and you know of my depravity and you know how I have failed in so many instances and dear friends if there's anything that I want in my life is I want to look more and more like him I'll not do it power excuse me I will not do it perfectly but through the power of the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, I can do it powerfully. Because it's the Lord's work within me. And so I want to encourage you uh, in the words of Eric Alexander. When he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the comprehensive nature of the fruit of the Spirit. He says that the fruit of the Spirit will touch every single aspect of our lives and that as people who long to walk in a mature fashion with the Savior that we love, it is our hope, our glory, and our joy to cultivate all of these fruits in our lives at the same time. And beloved, believe me, we're either going to cultivate jealousy, envy, strife, and gossip, or by God's kindness, we can begin to cultivate Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Where do you find yourself this morning? What is it to bring joy in your life? Uh, is your life only characterized by a circumstantial happiness, or is there, a fundamentally speaking, a joy in your life that is absolutely rooted in the absolute sovereignty of God in all of life. I fear, dear friends, oftentimes we, we espouse the Reformed faith and we espouse sovereignty of God, but when, when struggles and difficulties come into our lives, we live like practical atheists. It's true of me, and I've lived with you speaking judgmentally, but maybe it's true of you as well. You see, Eric Alexander said when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that there's three dimensions to the fruit of the Spirit. There's the Godward dimension, the manward dimension, and the inward dimension. That the first one is the Godward dimension, that because we have a Father in heaven who has poured his love into our lives, 
As it says in 2 Peter, through his very great and precious promises, we are actually partakers in the divine nature now. Because he has already done that, our privilege is to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And what does that mean? We actually have a love for God, we actually have joy in God, and we actually have the peace of God. You see, that's the Godward dimension. The second dimension is the manward dimension because he's poured his love into our lives and because he's poured the characteristics of his life into our life. Now there's a manward dimension. And what does that mean? Patience, kindness, and goodness. That means that we can be patient with one another, kind towards one another, and actually manifest a goodness with one another. And then the last dimension is an inward dimension. Because he has poured his life into our, his love into our lives, now we long to be faithful, we long to be gentle, we long to be self-controlled. Do you know why so many of you are angry? I know this because when I get angry, this is what I do. Because we want to control people. You know why it's so easy to hate? Because we make ourselves look right. Do you know why it's so easy to gossip and to bring divisions and dissensions? Because then we feel that we're the core of the universe. And it feels really good to be the core of the universe. And beloved, there's only one core to the universe, and that is God in all of his holiness. The Lord is calling us, beloved, to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The world wants to know. The world is outside of these windows and the world wants to know, do you really believe in God? then show me your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your self-control. Will you show me something that speaks to the reality of who God is in your life? Would you show me anything? That's how important this passage is. This is not some passage we just fluff over to get to something that we think is more important. This is what maturity looks like. This is what Christ's likeness looks like. And if you're a man made in the image of God and you've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is your hope in this life. You see, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning, we're talking about the whole concept of joy. And what is this joy that the Lord has called us to? And I want us to recognize that this joy is not a circumstantial happiness. It is a joy that is fundamentally rooted in the sovereignty and the holiness of God. It is a joy uh, that we have a joy in this life because we recognize that we are, that we have a father in heaven who has known us before time began. He has known us and he has loved us and he has chosen us to be holy and blameless, and he is saying to us, by the way, through the means of the covenant, 
and many other verses throughout the New Testament, I'm working everything to the good to those who are called according to my purpose. Every single thing. And if that's true, then we can have uh, a joy in our lives that is actually an otherworldly joy because it's a joy that comes literally from the heart of God. Zephaniah 3 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. What a, what a remarkable verse. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Do, do you believe that God, let me back up. Do you believe that God is a God of gladness? Do you believe that you have a father in heaven who loves you with gladness? Do you believe that you have a father in heaven that has adopted you into his family, that we are actually children of the living God, and that he is doing this incredible, marvelous work of redemption and transformation, uh, and he is taking us into heaven itself where we will dwell with him for all time. No more weeping, no more mourning, no more crying, no more, no more pain where he is doing a work of redemption that is so thorough and so complete that, yes, we begin to manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. What rules our culture today? Sarcasm. Cynicism. That's why people use profanity. That's why people are so engaged in cancel culture. And that's why for Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we are the answer that the culture is longing to know because we are not only people of the book, but we are people of the gospel. Thessalonians says rejoice always Philippians 3 says finally brothers rejoice in the Lord Philippians 4 says rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice what is this joy that the Lord has called us to Tim Keller says this joy is the delight for the sheer beauty and the worth of who he is have you taken the, the, the time to contemplate the beauty of God, the sheer beauty of God, the sheer worth of who he is and what our Father in heaven through the person of his Son by the means of the Spirit has accomplished for us in so great a redemption? Have you taken the time to understand the beauty of God? Because, beloved, if we will, the fruit of that will be absolute joy. What is the opposite of joy? A hopelessness or, or despair. What is the counterfeit of joy? It is a, it's, it's an elation that is based on, it, on longing to experience the blessings of God, but not God himself. 
Lord, I don't want you. I want your stuff. And when we go there, beloved, what happens to us is that there will be wild mood swings in our lives based upon external, practical circumstances. John MacArthur said this, that joy is defined it's the experience of well-being that God is in control of everything for my good and for his glory. John MacArthur continued to say this, that scriptures say that our rejoicing is to be great, abundant, exceeding, animated, unspeakable, full of glory and awe and beloved. It's the opposite of what it means to be frozen chosen. Because we are a people that have so understood or rather, we are understanding this awesome rescue that's called so great a salvation. And we're beginning to understand this awesome reality that there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will spend all eternity with God and his people, no one left behind. And we will spend all eternity in the joy of heaven, basking, in all of the blessings and the glory and the holiness that he has for us. You see, joy is God's gift to believers in a sense that we have a deep confidence. We have a deep confidence that is rooted in the very fact that he is sovereignly in control of his universe. And we have a confidence in his promises. And we have a confidence in his His. Inter, uh, eternal spiritual realities and we have a confidence in our assurance and our ultimate victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a confidence that God is working his nature within us, the nature that he wants us to manifest as his children. We have a confidence of his ongoing continual presence and peace and well-being we have a confidence that the Lord is working in our lives each and every day and that, that this joy can be a real joy, but it's a joy that comes as we long to walk by faith in the Lord Jesus, as we long to confess and repent of our sins, and as we long to cultivate joy in our soul. You see, David Campbell said this, joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which is promised to those who abide in Christ. It's promised to you as we abide in Christ. William MacDonald put it this way, joy is a contentment and satisfaction with God and with his dealings. We're satisfied with God in all of life, whether plenty or want, all of life. Adam Clark said this, the exaltation that arises from a sense of God's mercy communicated to the soul in the pardon of its iniquities and the prospect of that eternal glory of which it has the foretaste in the pardon of sin. That our sins are forgiven. Another commentator put it this way, joy is the triumphant overflow of Christian gladness. Because God rejoices over us with gladness. 
And Martin Luther said this, Our Father in heaven loves cheerful hearts. And the premise that I have for you this morning is, joy is at the essence of the Christian life. And for each and every one of us within earshot this morning, we have an ongoing responsibility through the power of the word, through the work of the spirit, walking by faith dependently to begin to cultivate this spiritual gift of joy because it will be of of rest and peace to your own souls and it will be a remarkable witness to a lost and dying world that simply wants to know, do you really believe in what you say? Then show me in the fruit of your life. In closing, One of Hallie's best friends, Hallie's our daughter, one of her best friends is Laura Kuffendahl, is Laura Kuffendahl. And Laura was killed in a car wreck in Oxford um, while they were all in college. And the summer prior to her home going, she found this verse out of Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And Laura was an artist, and she was, she was just compelled to pick up her paint and to pick up her brush and to paint that all along the upper section of her wall, all the way around her room. And the more she meditated, excuse me, the more she painted, the more she meditated, the more she meditated, joy began to rise up within her. God in his providence would soon take her home. And I have no idea what the last moments of her life would be. But I cannot but imagine the confidence that she must have felt in that moment as she had taken these spiritual truths and meditated them down into her life and heart. I have a Father in heaven who is rejoicing over me with gladness. I have a Father in heaven who will quiet me by his love. I have a Father in heaven who is actually going to exalt over me with loud singing. For those who love Jesus, I'm not speaking legalistically. We should cultivate joy in all circumstances. And joy should be one of the prime emotions of our lives. And joy is a fruit whereby you actually believe Jesus is who he said he was. And you actually believe that the greatest act of friendship in all of the world was when he died on the cross for us. And beloved, he died to give you glory. Father, um, I, I, I preach this and I am overwhelmed with my own lack. And Father, as I preach this, I am overwhelmed 
with so great a provision. Would you, in these moments, through the work of your spirit, allow us to cultivate the fruit of the spirit, not just to our peace and well-being, but so that we can witness the lost and dying. In your son's name we pray. Amen.